Hello and welcome to Floridiana. Our fourth episode takes us to Gainesville to talk with John Denny, head brewer at First Magnitude Brewing Company. I met him through mutual friends and he was nice enough to spend some time with me talking about various aspects of opening a brewery, making beer, brewing with some Florida-grown hops, other stuff like that. I'll keep this introduction relatively short. I want to say we're working on two more episodes we hope to release in the next few months. Also, while talking with John, I had an idea for another beer-themed episode that I'd like to put into the works once I can make some space for it, so look for that. Finally, this interview is relatively long, but I decided to post it mainly unedited to keep it current. I didn't want to get too precious with it. As always, thanks for listening. Mike Lagacy and I made this for you. Enjoy. So could you just introduce yourself when we get a level here? Sure. Yeah, this is uh, John Denny. I'm the head brewer at First Magnitude Brewing Company in beautiful Gainesville, Florida. I think this will work. Okay. Yeah. All right. Okay. Consult my notes. <laughs> sure. Um, yeah, I was just kind of looking at stuff that's uh, available on the internet. Mm-hmm. Anyway, so you guys have been open since 2012, huh? Uh, let's see. Um, we actually opened our doors in 2014. I know it says 2012 somewhere out there, but the official opening was August 2014. I think we incorporated in 2012, and it took us a while to get launched. So we're coming up on our fourth anniversary of being open. Yeah. Um, I think I got that off of Bloomberg's website, actually. They have a blurb on you. Oh, really? Yeah. Well, I mean, I think it's like a... Well, it's like a compendium of just, like, the heads of many companies. Everybody gets, like, a little blurb, and you can look them up on there. And um, they must have just looked at when you incorporated and been like, yeah, they've been open since 2012. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. Well, yeah, that, that, that that sounds right. How did you come to this facility, this sort of little industrial area here? The original thought for First Magnitude, one of my business partners uh, runs Ridgeway Roof Trust, which is on the opposite side of Main Street. And he has a considerable amount of property over there. And the original thought was the brewery would be over there. We knew that we wanted to be uh, in the South Main District because um, we knew that Depot Park was coming. We knew that the Cade Museum was coming. We knew that Gainesville was investing a lot in this area of town. And um, we, uh, we put out a very highly unscientific and non-statistically valid survey among just friends and whoever would take it. And we asked them about, oh, you know, do you like craft beer? And what sort of craft beer do you like? And what other things do you like to do? And pretty consistently, you know, we got running and cycling and rollerblading and just outdoor activities so just basically a block and a half away from the brewery is the Hawthorne Trail which is a rails to trails project that goes from Gainesville to Hawthorne about 26 miles so you know we thought well gee this is perfect and and as I was walking in today perfect example there are a couple guys in first magnitude cycling jerseys that were just coming back from the trail and putting their bikes back up on the car and gonna you know come in here and get get a couple beers, so the combination of knowing that the city was investing in this area of town, the proximity to the bike trail, and the fact that this building had you know the bones that we needed, it was it was pretty much wide open, you know it had the proper power, it had the proper water supply, and we didn't have to do a whole lot of modifications to the building. So um, it just worked out, you know, yeah, really, I mean, really well. It's basically a warehouse, right? Yeah. I mean, yeah. it's 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 a it's a warehouse that you guys have repurposed into a brewery. Exactly. What is the current setup? We'll, we'll, we'll start off with like, a, what did you start out with as far as like capacity and uh, like when you first set up here in 2014? Like, what was your capacity? What did you start out with? Right. Uh, as far as like how many how many things you could brew and how much? Uh huh. So we have the same 15-barrel brew house that, we've, that we had uh, when we opened, and uh, we started off with uh, four 30-barrel uh, fermenters and a 30-barrel bright tank, and uh, since that time, we've added three additional 60-barrel fermenters. Brew house is, is, is still the same. So we started out with a capacity of roughly... 3,000 barrels, and we've pretty close to doubled that to about 6,000 barrels. 
Um, we're hoping to do about 4,000 this year. We did 3,600 in, uh, in 2017. We have, from day one, we invested a good amount in our pilot system. And our pilot system is about a barrel and a half. And for any of your listeners that may not know, a, <clears throat> a barrel is 31 gallons. I was going to ask you that next. Yeah, that's the, that's the kind of standard unit of measure in the brewing industry is the barrel. And it's a real fun unit to work with, 31, you know, great prime number. But uh, anyways, so um, our pilot system is about a barrel and a half. So it'll make about 45 gallons uh, of beer. And that's great because, you know, if there's one a common denominator among craft beer enthusiasts, it's variety. You know, people always want something different. And we we strive to have 18 of our own beers on at all times here um, at yeah, the brewery. Yeah, so that that is one thing I was going to ask you about um, is just the... Um the, like so, when we were when we were in the tasting room just a few minutes ago, I counted. I mean, what do you have? Sixteen or seventeen? Eighteen yeah. beers. Mm-hmm. Uh, and are those all beers that you make here? You don't have any outside tap. Occasionally, but, Occasionally. but yeah, we 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 try to have them yeah. be all our own. So, yeah. what are the the uh, logistical challenges of of having all of those beers? Your sort of core. You know, I'm sure you have a, a set of core beers that you always produce, right? And then you always have you have these other different things going. Like, how can you do that? Because uh, I know how long it takes to make beer, right. some beers anyway. <clears throat> yeah, sure. Um, uh, it's it is a sort of a long, messy process, or it can be. You uh-huh. know, like so. Yeah, what are the challenges of making so many different kinds of beers? Well, again, I mean, we've we've invested in our pilot system, and I think it's a real, you know, nice, robust uh, system. We have eight pilot fermenters that are about 80 gallons each, so close to three barrels uh, of capacity in each of those. Actually, I think their maximum capacity is 88 gallons, so so almost three barrels each. And we have uh, one of my assistant brewers that that is pretty much his job, is to run the pilot system. This is a guy that uh, unfortunately is leaving us next week. He's going to start his own brewery down in, in Ybor City in Tampa. His name's Jim Barry, and uh, he's going to do a great job down there. Uh, but he's just a really, really talented brewer. Had you know started off like I did as a home brewer, and he has uh, he's won all kinds of medals on the homebrew circuit, including he won a gold medal at the National American Homebrew uh, Competition which he beat out like 700 entries, something like that. I mean, he's a really, really talented brewer. So that's a big part of his job is just doing these pilot batches. And, you know, a large part of it is just kind of turning him loose and, and allowing him to be creative. Uh, but we also work uh, closely with our taproom management. And, you know, he might say, hey, you know, we're really kind of low on dark beers. You know, we want to crank out some porters and stouts or we need more hoppy stuff. And so... And he's come up with really great suggestions about different kinds of beers that we should brew. So, yeah, it is it is a challenge um, logistically uh, to get it all going. But with the eight different fermenters that we have for the pilot system, you know, they're they're full pretty much all the time. So we've always got beer uh, coming in the pipeline, and having you know forty five gallons of beer, it's not a tremendous amount of beer. But you know, our pilot batches generally last at least a couple of weeks. So, you know, it'll hold a handle there, you know, for a while. Some of them move very fast and some of them, you know, a little bit slower. But having invested in that pilot system has been just a really great thing uh, for us because I think our regular customers uh, really appreciate it. So, What is the process for, uh, for, for coming up with a new recipe? I mean, is it just kind of... You taste something, and you're like, I want to do something like that, or I've always wanted to do this. Uh, you know, brewers always uh, get inspiration and steal each other's ideas, and, and um, you know, that's that's a real common um, thing to do in in the brewing industry. And, and people, in large part, are very, uh, you know, open about their process, recipes, stuff like that. You can go to Hogtown Airworks here in town and find the recipe for 72, our, our flagship pale ale, uh, they asked if they could have it, and we kind of designed it for a five-gallon batch rather than a 15-barrel batch, and 
you know it's it's out there you know so it it could be something like wow we tried this beer from founders brewery and wow we really like it but what if we did this and maybe changed up the hop a little bit or maybe if we ferment it with a different yeast and sometimes uh, we have a we have a book uh, called the Flavor Bible here, and it's uh, it's a, it's a cooking book, and it talks about complementary and contrasting flavors and stuff like that. And so sometimes those can be an inspiration for you know trying something new. Uh, you know, it's fun to to brew a beer and then just change one element of it and see you know what what that leads to. And sometimes we knock it out of the park, and sometimes they're you know not quite as good. <laughs> so yeah. we just try to keep good notes and and uh, remember uh, what worked well and and you know what we what we could do better. But it's a lot of fun. I mean that that part of the process is is great. It's really wonderful to be to be creative. We started out with um, three core beers, uh, which was Vega, our blonde ale. 72 is our pale ale and drift is our um, English style mild. So I was going for Vega is very balanced. It's not particularly hoppy, not particularly malty, but it's real light, easy, approachable uh, beer. We're very, very proud of that one because it won a silver world award at the uh, world beer cup. I was just about to bring that up actually. Uh, What was that like? Uh, Wow, that was uh, that was that was amazing. Uh, we since the craft beer, the World Beer Cup uh, competition is always at the World Beer is excuse me at the Craft Brewers Conference um, every year. And this year, well, actually, the World Beer Cup is every other year. But this year, the Craft Brewers Conference was held in Nashville, Tennessee, so not too far from Gainesville. It was a bit of a long drive, but we loaded up as many of our staff as we could in our minivan, and we we drove up there. And we had a great time. It's a, it's just a, it's a great learning experience. There's a whole, you know, conference um, uh, several days before the award ceremony, and the award ceremony was on a Thursday night. Well, we had our bar manager, we had um, our marketing guy, we had three of our brewers. There weren't really a whole lot of people back. And Christine, my wife, who was our, our president, there wasn't anybody who run the brewery. <laughs> so we were really operating on a skeleton crew here, and we knew we had to get back on Friday. So we were going to miss the ceremony. And, you know, we were very confident in our beers, but we thought, now, really? Really? Are we really going to win? Like how many beers are out there yet out of all these beers? Yeah. So there were 20. Let me see if I get this right. There's about 2,500 breweries that participate in the World Beer Cup. There's over 8,000 entries. And then in the Blonde or Golden Ale, which is the category that we have for Vega, that Vega belongs to, rather, um, there was 211 entries in that category. So um, fortunately, they stream the the um, the award ceremony live, and so we're listening on uh, on a phone, you know, driving back, and we're somewhere north of Atlanta on I seventy five, and they <laughs> they start the award ceremony and they go in chronological order. So golden or blonde ale was category number ninety. So it starts with one, it goes all the way, and there's like 110 or something like that. So, so we're like, get, they announcing it by the time you guys were pulling into games? Oh, no, 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 no. Well, it, no, we were still, had a, we still had quite a ways to go. But, you know, everybody was kind of restless and bored of being in the car. And, and you know, it comes up on, you know, Golden or Blonde Ale. I'm like, shut up, this is it, this is it, everybody shut up. And they, uh, they announced the winner for Bronze award and it's a brewery in japan and i i was like oh yeah you know this is a world competition you know and then silver award you know first magnitude brewing company gainesville florida i couldn't believe it everybody's hollering and screaming in the car and i i really thought about just popping into atlanta and just getting a hotel and going out and celebrating but we all knew we had to be back so we we pushed through and um we had some friends uh, at the ceremony uh, that uh, Chris and Sissy Harden. They run Black Adder Brewing here in Gainesville, um, and they're they're a terrific, terrific brewery, and 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 they're friends of ours. I'm like, text Chris, tell him to get the award. So he went up and accepted the award for us and everything. So it was great. I mean, it, it, it's uh, I mean to have one of our core beers get recognized like that was. Uh, 
was awesome, you know. So that was that was very exciting and very, uh, you know, very validating. I yeah, suppose. it must be satisfying. Right? Oh yeah, I mean, to have something you created recognized like that. So you've got. Uh, so you were talking about your core beers. Mm-hmm. Um, you've got the Vega Blonde. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, what are the other ones? So seventy-two Pale Ale. It's an American Pale Ale, right? And that is uh, that's our flagship, I suppose. We, that's our that's our bestseller. Um, you know, classic American Pale Ale. Uh, it's balanced, but definitely leaning towards uh, hoppy. It's got a real nice citrus hop flavor to it. And then Drift uh, is a English mild. And when we were formulating these recipes, you know, we had Vega, which is very balanced, 72, which is hoppy. Um, Drift is definitely leans towards the malt, but, you know, being here in Florida and it's very hot, you know, most of the year, I didn't want something that was big and roasty, um, even though I really enjoy those styles of beers. I, you know, wanted something that was kind of medium light bodied, that really focused on the chocolate notes of the malt. And, and just wasn't heavy because, again, you know, we, we live in such warm weather down here. And we came up with Drift, and, you know, I'm very proud of that one. That, that won a gold at the um, uh, Best Fuller Beer Competition um, that's just a statewide thing in 2016. So that, that's, a, that's, a, that's a fine beer as well. And since then, we've added Ursa, which is our American IPA, and then Wakulla, which is a traditional German-style Hefeweizen. And those are our five year-round beers that we have in cans as well as draft. Mm-hmm. I wanted to, so my wife and I refer to uh, the springs of North, North Florida as the crown jewels of Florida. Um, we are huge fans of the freshwater springs here, and... Um, so I was wondering if you could just tell us a little bit about uh, coming up with a name for your brewery um, and just sort of its relationship to, uh, I don't know, the natural environment here in, in, in North Florida. Obviously, First Magnitude, you guys are, are fans of the Springs as well. Oh, yeah. Yeah. With, without question. So my wife worked as an environmental consultant for 17 years prior to coming into the, the brewing industry. And, you know, just like you guys, we, we really love the springs. And I think when people come to Florida from outside of Florida, they, they immediately think of beaches. And then they probably think of amusement parks and attractions and stuff like that. And it's not that the springs are unknown, you know, by no means. But, but I think that they can be kind of overlooked. And we wanted something that really connected us to this area but you know we're all we're all Gator fans. We have six degrees from the University of Florida on our management team. But you know the last thing Gainesville needs is another Gator, Gator beer, yeah, yeah, or something right, like that. Right? You know. So my uh, business partner Meg uh, said we wanted something that was local but not obvious, and I, I, I like that. And so we we just came up with the name First Magnitude. Uh, you know, so springs for for those that don't know, springs are classified by the amount of water which flows out of them, and they're classified from first magnitude down to eighth magnitude. And the first magnitude springs are the largest springs, hundred cubic feet of water per second. Um, Manatee Springs, which is not far from here, has sixty five million gallons of water every day coming out of it. I mean, it's it's hard to really wrap your head around that, and. Florida, North Florida in particular, has the highest concentration of first magnitude springs in the world. There's nowhere else has as many freshwater springs of, of this size. So there's 33 of them throughout Florida. And, you know, it's something that we've enjoyed taking our kids to. And, uh, you know, we're recording this uh, podcast here in July and it's 96 degrees out. And this is the best time of year, you know, to go and hit that 72-degree water. Yeah, exactly. And, we feel the same way. Yeah, yeah, and it's just, there's there's nothing like, you know, getting in that cold, bracing water and then coming out and feeling that hot sun on your skin. It's just, it's unbelievable. I know, and, and it's, it's, it's sweet and, and fresh and, and just, uh, I love the, cl- the clarity and the... Uh, and the coolness of it, yeah. Uh, whenever I recommend, uh, you know, going to the springs to people who come from outside of Florida, um, I get a lot of looks, you know, like, what are you talking about? Mm-hmm. And then they go they go to them, and they're just like, man, this is amazing. Yeah. 
Um, yeah, yeah it, it's definitely. I feel like um, I always feel like I'm giving them like some real insider tip, uh-huh, you know, right. like yeah, like, a, yeah. like the cool bar that's kind of hidden, you know, that nobody <laughs> knows about or something like that. Exactly. But, um, but yeah, I I love that that um that the name of this place is is uh, in reference to that. Yeah, and so um, our logo uh, is uh, is our mermaid who who we call Maggie. And she obviously ties in with the springs, but first magnitude has a double meaning in that stars are also classified in orders of magnitude. That's right. So yeah. the brightest stars that you see are first magnitude stars. So Maggie, obviously being a mermaid, she's looking through a telescope into the stars. So, you know, you get that celestial plus the water thing, which I think is uh, really, really cool. I did not know that. Yep. That's some little bit of insider information. Yep. Uh, that's super cool. So you guys obviously are a very local company, uh, very into the local scene. Uh, are you from Florida originally? Yeah, I'm from Lakeland originally, but I've lived in Gainesville over 25 years, so this is definitely home. And you originally worked at the University of Florida after you graduated, right? I did, yeah. Uh, I was uh, the associate director of the honors program there, and I was the uh, Fulbright program administrator uh, for UF, which was great. I, I loved it. I, it was, I was really, really fortunate. Um, to have that job, and I got to work with a lot of great uh, colleagues. But the cool thing is, when you open a brewery, a lot of your colleagues <laughs> come sure. by and visit. Right. And uh, I, I've, I've certainly worked and maintained my uh, relationships with uh, colleagues and departments and stuff at UF, and, and they've come in and have become great customers. So that's been, that's been very cool. Yeah. And another time uh, with UF that I was reading about, about you guys, um, you had the opportunity to brew a experimental batch of beer mm-hmm. with uh, some hops that uh, that the University of Florida's Agriculture Department yeah are I don't know what you would call it they're 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 uh, selectively breeding these hops to be uh, <clears throat> tolerant to the Florida heat and moisture right yeah so hops are are normally uh, grown in like much cooler. Uh, drier climates, right? No? Absolutely. So, like, if you could just kind of tell me uh, how that came to you um, and what it was like brewing that batch, and if you could maybe share a little bit about uh, what the beer was like. Sure. So, um, that beer was brewed in conjunction with UF IFAS, which is the Institute of Food and Agricultural Sciences, and they have uh, an extension office. They have extension offices in every county in Florida. And they have one down in Apopka where they are, as you said, they're breeding these hops and looking for hop varieties that do well in the Florida climate. Um, The great majority of hops grown in the United States are in the Pacific Northwest. So Washington, Oregon, Idaho, places that have, um, you know, warm days, cool nights, lower humidity. You know, we don't have that. <laughs> right, right. Nothing <laughs> right, like that. Right. Which is sort of fascinating to me, you know, that you would even try to grow hops down here. Right, yeah, yeah. So um, hops hops require a lot of water, but they, but they don't do so well in humidity because they're very susceptible to mold and those sorts of things. And so, yeah, they're, they're looking at these varieties that can, that can tolerate um, the climate down here. And one of the cool things, and I'm not an agronomist, so I, I, I can't speak too well on this, but up in, in the Pacific Northwest, they have, a, they have a growing season and they have one harvest a year. They're looking at these varieties down here in Florida that you, we could potentially have multiple harvests in a, in a year, which is, which is pretty cool. You know, being in Florida, we are geographically as far away from the Pacific Northwest as one can be. Right, and still um, be in the continental United States. And still be in the continental United States. So if, I mean, if they could grow hops in Florida, and, I mean, we we pay a a pretty sizable amount of money just to get the hops here, not to mention that the hops themselves are are kind of expensive, um, that would be really, really exciting. So my lead brewer, Eric Dreyer, he also worked at UF, and he worked in the food science department. And so he would run these tasting panels at UF, and they would do everything from, you know, cheeseburgers to tomatoes to soft drinks to, I mean, you name it, any kind of food product, they would do these uh, taste panels and, and, um, and uh, you know, evaluate people's, you know, reactions to these different 
uh, food items. So um, Brian Pearson, who is the primary investigator um, for this hop project, Eric knew him, you know, through the uh, taste panels and, um, you know, maintained contact and he knew he was growing hops and he just said, hey, Brian, you know, could we get our hands on some of that? And, and, and he's like, yeah, sure. And they were very excited to have the potential to have a commercial product, you know, produced, um, you know, with their hops. So, yeah, we, we got our hands on some. It wasn't much. It was like five pounds. Uh-huh. <laughs> and it, it, it well, was, how, how much can you make with five pounds? Not a lot. I mean, we did a pilot batch. We, uh-huh. we did about 45 gallons. And, you know, it was interesting. I think that the really cool thing about Florida hops is, you know, they may be able to replicate, like, for example, Cascade, Centennial. Those are classic uh, Northwestern hops. They've got a nice citrus profile. Those are the hops that are predominant in 72. Also in Ursa, our, our IPA, you know, we, we love those. And they're growing Cascade in Apopka. And they may be able to, you know, replicate it and do something very similar. But the thing I'm more excited about is it's going to be different, you know, and have a terroir kind of a uh, uh, element to it. Right. You know, and who knows what that might be. So we had these five pounds of hops, and it was, it was gosh, it was, it was six or seven different varieties. So it was kind of an everybody in the pool kind of a thing. Okay, so it wasn't just a single kind. They no. had been working on all these yeah. different varieties, mm-hmm. and then they just gave you five total mm-hmm. pounds of all these different varieties. Did you, like, go through and, like, chew on some of them? Or, like, <laughs> were, were you just kind of smelling them and trying to figure out, like, what kind of beer I'm going to brew here? Yeah, or? exactly. So we wanted to do, obviously, we wanted to do a beer that would feature hops. You know, we're not going to do, a, you know, a big multi-beer. We're gonna, not going to bury the lead. Yeah. Right. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So, you know, we agreed that we would do a pale ale. And basically, we just looked at the at the hops that, that, uh, that they had and... And, yeah, we went through and, you know, gave them the smell test. And, and we just didn't have a whole lot to work with. So it was it was just kind of a everybody in. And uh, we did this pale ale, and we called it a Popka Hop uh, pale ale because, uh, obviously, that's where they were grown. And we did a small bottle release in 500-milliliter bottles. And um, we, you know, released it to the public. Well, gosh, we had a huge response from it. The mayor of Apopka came up here. <laughs> it was crazy. Right. It was just absolutely nuts. And uh, the bottles sold out, you know, within an hour. Uh, we only had about 200 bottles. We just absolutely blew through them. And, you know, it was it was an interesting beer. It was, it was definitely different. They had a little bit more of an earthy uh, tone to them. I mean, it would be great if we had, you know, greater quantities and we could do single hop you know, mm-hmm. kind of experiments to, to really see what these different hops brought to the table, different varieties of hops. But um, it was it was fun. It was a real fun project, and uh, it's something that we hope to continue. But there, you know, there are people out there. Their hop farms are are popping up uh, in Florida, which is great. I I think that there's a long way to go for the industry to really you know get cranking because there's a lot of uh, processing equipment and 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 just a lot more investment needs to be done but it's really exciting and uh you know i hope it's something that we can continue to work with them on yeah that was a uh, something just sort of random that i came across on the internet i was mm-hmm. like oh wow really um I, I never thought that any of that stuff would grow down here so that's, yeah that's yeah. super cool what was your uh what, so you say, you know you talk about how you were originally a home brewer. Mm-hmm. What was your entry into to starting to brew your own beer? I mean, everybody loves beer, <laughs> right? Um, I love beer. Uh, <laughs> you know, well, um, why did you start making it yourself? So it was a total whim. I was working at Sam's Club um, shortly after I finished my undergraduate degree, and this buddy of mine that worked at Sam said, "Hey, I'm I'm taking this leisure course at Santa Fe, which is the, the which was a community college here at the time. It's now Santa Fe College. But he's like, hey, I'm going to take this class on home brewing. And I'm like, what? Brewing what? He's like, beer. I'm like, you can make beer at home? I'm like, yeah. Oh, my God, yeah. Well, let's let's do that. And so we took this class together, and that was 23 years ago. And it was it was fun, you know. It was it was great. I mean, at at that time, it, it was it was 
obviously a total hobby. The equipment and ingredients, all that stuff, was it was all done on my stovetop, you know, nothing sophisticated about it, but it was a lot of fun. It was just great, you know, to be able to, to have this creation, you know, and have people over and, and, and enjoy it. And so I did that for quite some time. And then I ended up going to grad school down in Tampa, meeting my wife, starting a family. The homebrewing kind of got put on the shelf a little bit until we returned uh, to Gainesville um, in 99. And um, I joined the Hogtown Brewers, which is the local homebrew club here. And they're very, very active. And it's a great group of people to affiliate with because you have professional brewers and then you have people that have never brewed ever, you know, and and just want to get learning. So there's all levels of experience in there. And I started putting my beers into competitions and these homebrew competitions are surprisingly rather rigorous. You know, that's all blind tastings and um, there's a, there's a set of criteria for the different styles and it's great to put your beer into competition because you're getting really good objective feedback from people that are trained, uh, you know, to evaluate beers. And we have uh, four BJCP, that's Beer Judge Certification Program, certified homebrew judges um, on our staff here. And actually, quite a few of our staff are members of the Hogtown Brewers, and that's how I ended up hiring them is, is making connections, you know, through that club. So, you know, fast forward a dozen years or so, and uh, our friends and business partners, Wells and Meg Thelosen, you know, we would gather around and drink my homebrew, and, and it just one evening we, we just started talking about different business opportunities and things like that, and we started kicking around the idea of a brewery. Uh, Meg and Wells both have a really great business background. You know, Wells runs Ridgeway Roof Trust, and so he's got experience in uh, manufacturing, production, which I did not have. You know, Meg had worked in the software industry and had a lot of, you know, marketing and strategic planning and, you know, and those sorts of things. And then, um, you know, we started looking into it. Okay, well, what's what does the equipment cost? You know, what sort of licensing do we have to have? What kind of insurance do you need? You know, what do you, you know? And we all started kind of taking bits and pieces and, and, and looking into it and, and seeing what it would take. And, you know, it, it finally got to the point where it's like, wow, okay, I've, I've invested enough in this. If I don't do this, then I'm always going to wonder what if, you know? And so I thought, well, you know, UF's not going anywhere. I don't think the university is going to close its doors. And, I, I made sure I left there in the best possible circumstances. Uh, you know, I gave them a lot of notice, you know, because, you know, I thought we could do this. But at the end of the day, I didn't know if we would be successful or not. So um, I figured, hey, you know, if I do this in a couple of years and if it doesn't work out, I'll go back and work at UF and I'll say, well, good try. Well, fortunately, it, it has worked out, mm-hmm. you know, and that's been that's been really great. And then another really important piece uh, along the way is that you and I have a mutual friend and Tracy Bachman That's right, yeah. who um, really believed in what we were doing and was excited and developed our beautiful mermaid logo mm-hmm. and uh, really, really helped us get off the ground because that marketing piece and branding is such an important part of the story. And she just, I mean, just crushed it from day one. And we, you know, we, we had our ideas and we... You know, we, we told her what we were interested in, and obviously we had the name, but we, we had no idea about a mermaid or the telescope or anything like that, and, and she just unveiled this logo, and, and we were all like, wow. Right, and it's helpful to have someone just sort of take you through the whole process to kind of finish what you're already thinking about. Absolutely, yeah. and so, you know, she was just able to develop this 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 branding that was that's very visually appealing, and it really just helped our story, and, and I mean, that, that was just a big part of our initial and continued success. Yeah, I love telling people uh, whenever we, you know, have some of your beer around the house or something like that, mm-hmm. I love telling people that uh, I know the person who... Uh, Design that logo, yep. and uh, and now I know the person who yeah. brewed the beer. Yeah. So. Tracy is um, Maggie's mommy. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> uh, so you guys uh, have recently added a canning operation. 
why why did you feel that was so important to 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 start distributing your your beers in cans? Um, so you mean cans as opposed to bottles? Or, yeah, yeah, as it were, or. Yeah. Right. Well, I, I, several reasons. I mean, you, you really can only go so far with draft beer. We, we do sell the occasional keg out of, out of the tap room, but, you know, most people don't want to buy a keg of beer. Um, so we knew to really get our product out there, and particularly into distribution, we, we needed to get it in, in package. And we chose cans, like a lot of breweries are, are choosing cans. The can is really a better vessel for the beer. It's impervious to light. It does a better job of keeping oxygen out uh, of the product. Cans are lighter. They're more recyclable. Um, you can fit more on a pallet. Uh, you can fit more on a truck. They don't break, <laughs> shatter. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's a lot of good reasons um, to go with cans. I mean, beer will always be in bottles. There's yeah. there's no, no, no I, I don't doubt that. But I know as a consumer... And obviously, I'm a biased consumer, but I, I, I still buy beer in bottles on occasion, but I, I'm looking for cans, you know, because I love to go paddle to Santa Fe or go, you know, take a hike or whatnot. And you don't want to be weighed down with bottles, yeah. you know, and it's much, much more easier to pack in and pack out, you know, when you're when you're going with cans. So and then the equipment itself, the, the canning line is 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 a very expensive piece of equipment, but it's not as as, as expensive as a bottling line. Yeah, and that was one of the things I wondered about when I read that. I, I just kind of assumed you guys probably uh, uh, subcontracted that out to someone who did that. You mm-hmm. know, that's all they did is can yeah. beers and yeah. you know, sodas and stuff like that. But apparently, it's more cost effective than that. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, it. You know, the brewing industry is is it, it, it prides itself on the you know do it yourself aspect of it. And there are mobile canners out there. You can get people to come in and and, and can your product. It's just something that we wanted to, you know, maintain control over. Yeah. And, um, you know, again, I'm, I'm so fortunate to have a food scientist as a lead brewer. My QAQC guy is a Ph.D. candidate, um, and he's wrapping up. He's putting the finishing touches on his dissertation right now. He's writing his dissertation on yeast propagation. So I've got, I've got some really smart guys looking at our process and, you know, making sure that we're making a quality and consistent product. You know, you look at the brew house and, you know, it looks very impressive. It's a big, shiny, stainless steel, you know, thing, but it really is very simple. It's just a bunch of valves. It's not, you know, it, it, there, there's nothing, it, it, on our brew house anyways, there's nothing automatic about it. I mean, it's it's turning pumps on and off and opening valves. You know, the canning line, on the other hand, is a pretty sophisticated piece of engineering to to fill these cans, to seam them, um, you know, to, to get them through the process. So that was a huge learning curve for us initially mm-hmm. uh, to take all this stuff in. But there are companies out there like the folks that did our line that, that are making canning lines specifically for, you know, breweries our size. So uh, that's been a lot of fun. It's, it's, it's been cool. And it's, and, it's a, and it's a great thrill, you know, if, I, if I'm out and I see somebody with a first magnitude can. You know, mm-hmm. it, it's still, I, I still love that. I get, I right. get, I get excited. Get a little charge that. out of yeah, it. Exactly, yeah, exactly. Exactly. Um, yeah. So a few years ago, I can't remember how long ago, but I think I, I, I hit you guys up on Instagram and I was like, when are you guys going to start distributing in St. Augustine? Mm-hmm. Now you're in St. Augustine. Yep. Uh, what is the extent of your distribution and what were the challenges of of getting that. I know Florida has kind of a weird th- uh, three-tier system. You yeah. can't distribute your own beer. Right. It has to be through a licensed distributor. Correct. Uh, what is the deal with that, and, and what were some of the challenges with that? Right. So, yeah, as you mentioned, Florida has the three-tier system, which means that we have to sell all of our beer to a distributor, and then the distributor sells it to the retailer, and then the retailer sells it to the consumer. The only exception to that is the tasting room. The brewery tasting room is the only time that we can sell beer directly to the public. So it's a very, very important source of revenue for us and for every brewery out there in Florida. But the distributors, um, you know, they, they definitely add value uh, to, to the situation because, you know, it's great that I can load the beer on a truck and then I don't have to worry about it getting to Publix or you know, the Circle K or wherever it goes, they really help us to get the beer into places that we, you know, never would otherwise have it. 
Um, so, so they definitely add uh, a whole lot. And Burkhart Sales and Service, which is our distributor here in our home territory and in St. Augustine, you know, has done a really, really nice job. But so we distribute, um, let's see, north and uh, east up to Jacksonville, northwest over to Tallahassee, uh, south down to Orlando, um, east to Flagler and Volusia counties. We're starting with Daytona Beverages actually next week. Uh, is our launch with Daytona Beverages um, down into uh, Orlando. Um, we've had a couple beers featured at Disney, which has been really cool, uh, Animal Kingdom and Epcot uh, specifically. And then um, we're also at, with uh, Great Bay distributors down in uh, Hernando Pasco and Pinellas County. So it's a it's a really big territory, but the great great majority of our beer is you know sold right here in Gainesville, as you would expect. You know, as you get further from home, you know, the more challenging it gets to, to mm-hmm. sell your product. Is there any um, any thought of like a um, multi state or national uh, type of distribution, or is that something that's just a little bit too far out? Yeah, uh, I mean, I I don't see that happening um, anytime soon. I mean, we we are. We are just scratching the surface of what we could potentially do here in Florida. And there are different uh, tax implications when you cross state lines and stuff like that. So, you know, never say never. Uh, Meg, our, my, my partner Meg, um, uh, it has family in Atlanta, and I know that that would give her a great thrill to get our beer uh, up there. I mean, the competition has increased so much just since it just in the four less than four years that we've been open um it's just a different landscape out there and i think moving forward you're going to see fewer breweries like cigar cities of the world um and more like first magnitude that are just more uh kind of hyper regional and that's okay. You know, that's that's right. that's fine. We're we're still a very small brewery in in the grand scheme of things and uh that's okay if we stay that way. I was wondering uh about that. I know that um the uh, number of craft breweries in Florida has been increasing exponentially um just over like the last 10 years, I think. Um, well, even in the last four, um, right. when um, we launched in 2014 and when we were, you know, fundraising and, you know, courting investors, I think Florida was 46th out of 50 in the number of breweries per capita. And, you know, we, you know, we emphasized that, you know, and, and, and at the time, all we had was Swamphead Brewery here uh, in Gainesville. That was the only other production brewery. Since that time, Cypress and Grove has opened here, um, and there. When I say production, I mean a brewery that that distributes, that sells their beer through a distributor. And then, of course, we have Black Adder, and we have uh, Alligator Brewing that they they just brew on premise. But you know, we knew that that Gainesville could sustain another brewery, and quite frankly, I think Gainesville could sustain a couple more breweries if you go to a place like Asheville or. Portland, Oregon, or Denver, certainly. I mean, you can't, you know, in Denver, you can't walk a city block without finding a brewery and a marijuana dispensary, you know. It's right. just crazy out there. Yeah. So, um, you know, I, but but you're absolutely right. You know, just in that four years, I, I couldn't tell you. I, I know there's over, I want to say there's at least 250 breweries in Florida now. Yeah. Um, and I, I don't know exactly how many there were when we started, but um, yeah, it well, wasn't uh, 250. Do you feel like we're getting back to, so I know that, you know, before Prohibition, uh, beer was a very local thing. There were a lot of breweries, and <clears throat> Prohibition sort of destroyed hundreds and hundreds of, of local breweries, mm-hmm. and uh, do you feel like we're kind of getting back to that, you know, you have your, your local beers, I guess there'll always be room for uh, nationally and internationally distributed mm-hmm. beers and stuff like that, but you're, uh, do you feel like we're getting back to... Um, <clears throat> sort of more local flavor yeah i i completely agree with that and um you know you're right pre-prohibition days there there was a there was an enormous number of breweries in the united states and we're we're i know we're north of four thousand maybe even five thousand now in the united states we've surpassed there's there's now more breweries in the united states than there ever have been at any other time and um, I think that's great, and and it's it's great news for the for the consumer. You know, there's there's a lot more variety, and 
you know, it, I, I liken it to just like the popular in farmer's markets. You know, you, you see over in St. Augustine, over there at the amphitheater, the wonderful farmer's market they have on Saturdays. And people are willing to spend a couple more bucks on vegetables that they know the person that grew it. Um, you know, I think people appreciate the fact that they can come and say, oh, yeah, my beer came out of that tank, and there's the guy that made it. You know, I mean, mm-hmm. people, people like that. And, you know, much of the beer that you consume here at First Magnitude is less than a month old. And that makes a difference, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, fresh things, just like fresh vegetables, you know, fresh, fresh beer um, does taste better to uh, steal a Bud Light slogan but it's true yeah um so yeah you know and and the other thing is what was you know central to our business plan we knew we had to make great beer i mean that's that's a given but you know great beer and strong community and that's one of the things we really pride ourselves on is just having this place where people can come together and have a couple pints and maybe bring their kids and maybe listen to a band or just listen to some music or, you know, we've got a group from the United Way here tonight, you know, n- recruiting more volunteers. You know, we've, we've done retirement parties. We've done weddings. We've done wakes. We've done all kinds of stuff here, which is really cool. And so we wanted, we wanted a strong community base. And, you know, I think we've been able to do that. And, you know, just like, you know, hey, you know, the pub scene in, in Boston spawned the American Revolution, you know, and, mm-hmm. and uh, you know, we're not looking to <laughs> start a revolution here. But I think it is cool that First Magnitude has that real community vibe that people identify with this place and, and feel just really, really comfortable coming here to celebrate milestones or just simply have a beer on a Friday afternoon. It's, it's really and, cool. And that this place is so, so much identified with North, North Florida. Right. You know, when we were, again, when the early, early days, and not all of your listeners will be familiar with local Gainesville businesses, but we talked about, well, what, what do we really like about Gainesville? We're like Satchel's Pizza, Burrito Brothers. Unfortunately, Burrito Brothers has since closed. Oh, no. Yeah. I love Burrito yeah, Brothers. Oh, I know. I did, too. Randy and Janet were the best, and they were a very good account for us, too. But when I came up here, the first time I ever came to Gainesville was probably 85. And coming from Lakeland, growing up in Lakeland, Lakeland was great. But when you went out to dinner in Lakeland, you went to Bennigan's or Chili's or Outback and there's nothing wrong with those places, and especially the ones that buy our beer. They're great places. Right. But, you know, you can go to those places anywhere. And when I came up here to Gainesville and I saw these great local beef, you know, Leonardo's Pizza and, and Burrito Brothers and all these places, like, wow, this is amazing. This is absolutely fantastic. And I really admired these places and their uniqueness and their independent spirit. And so that was a big driver for me leaving the university. I'm like, gosh, you know, I have this opportunity to do something that's 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 local and that can add to Gainesville because I love this town. And um, you know, to for for that to have actually happened has just been, you know, wonderful, absolutely fantastic. So I think you know, people that are into craft beer are obviously they're looking for you know a good flavorful experience, but you know, it's it's a it's a really neat insight into that into that community where the brewery is and and we've been able to pull that off and i'm really proud of that i read somewhere that uh you guys use forage farm for local mm-hmm. ingredients yeah um, what kind of local ingredients would that be like, <laughs> well, for your beers yeah so it's it's a little bit difficult um here in florida because uh you know we we really don't grow barley here we talked about hops earlier. That's kind of coming around, but that that, I, that, that still has years to go. Um, but we have used local blueberries. We've used local strawberries. We've used uh, chestnuts, uh, chestnut flour um, in particular. Uh, what else have we used that's local? We've used uh, peppers. So those fruit additives um, have, been, have been fun and challenging mm-hmm. to work with. We did a strawberry version of our Goza, uh, which is a, a tart German wheat beer that's lightly salted. And we did a strawberry version of it. We call it saltwater intrusion. So it was saltwater intrusion with strawberries. And what had happened was um, the UF IFAS uh, student group did a fundraiser and they were selling flats of strawberries. 
and they had like I don't know how much they started with 2,000 pounds of strawberries donated to them that they sold for this fundraiser well they only sold about 1,000 pounds so they called up Eric my lead brewer and they're like hey I got 1,000 pounds of strawberries do you want them and we're like yes (laughs) (laughs) so one great thing about running a brewery is we, we really thrive on volunteer power around here and you know a lot of our picnic tables were constructed by volunteers a lot of the painting around here was done by volunteers some of the landscaping all the stuff in the beer garden volunteers and it's amazing what people will be willing to do if you buy them some pizza and open up the taps and pour them a couple pints afterwards and it's great and they they love it and we love it and it's that's it's how great. i moved house almost every time <laughs> yeah <laughs> right? exactly. every time i've moved exactly so we got about 30 volunteers to um hull all these strawberries uh, up on the brew deck, and then we had uh, four blenders to to puree, and the the brew deck just looked like a massacre, just like a blood. We <laughs> saw this red juice everywhere. It was a mess, but it was fun, and we you know we used that in the in the beer, and we have and this this was all originated from the uh, the Apopka hop that we talked about earlier. We now have the fresh from Florida designation which is really cool. And they've relaxed the, um, the rules on that. It used to be that if you put the Fresh from Florida icon on something, it had to be at least 50% of the ingredients in that product had to be from Florida. Well, now they've, they've relaxed it. So we could say, you know, saltwater intrusion goes with Fresh from Florida strawberries. You can identify what the Florida product is. Right. So we've used that on several things. And, you know, that's been... Uh, that's been a lot of fun. So, so, so it's mostly it's mostly fruit, you know, that we've that we've sourced locally here, and uh, and that's been great. We have, uh, in fact, when we wrap up, we'll have to go to the tap room. We have a barrel aged double brown ale with chestnuts, and their local uh, chestnuts are grown out in yeah. Alachaway, not not excellent. far from here. Excellent, yeah. Actually, just as a little bit of trivia, um, either as a home brewer or here at First Magnitude, what are the strangest ingredients you've ever used in beer? Like the most sort of out of the way, odd. Yeah. Um, hmm. Well, the ancho peppers um, were a little bit on the odd side. We do a mole version of drift with ancho peppers. We we've used ancho, we've used chipotle before, um, and with uh, cinnamon and uh, vanilla so it's got this kind of sweetness spice with a little heat if you if you get it just right it's real easy with the pepper beers to overdo it and you know you just get this really spicy liquid but if you if you're really um you know even-handed on that and and it's tough because the peppers are different every time right so it's an organically grown thing exactly there's variance within any agricultural product so we've 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 nailed it a couple times sometimes it's been a little too hot but um so those those have been um those have been a lot of fun uh to work with because when you got that just that heat just kind of supporting in the background it's just it's it's great. Yeah. Uh, we've used toasted coconut. I can't say that we've ever used anything that was really, really off the wall. Well, okay. It just came to me. Definitely the most unusual thing, gummy bears. Really? <laughs> so you got to tell me about that. <laughs> I was going to try and sort of segue out of this interview. But, but before I right. do that, you got to tell me. So um, Steve Smith is our bar manager, and he's been to Germany several times. He's a great guy, and I don't know how he came up with the idea, but he's like, you know, you should do a Berliner Weiss with, with gummy bears. I'm like, oh, I don't know. And, and we, we, we tried... We tried different flavor extracts. We tried different ways to kind of recreate the taste of gummy bears, and we just couldn't do it. So we're like, all right, we're just going to use gummy bears. So we had to get the Herbro, I don't know if I'm pronouncing that right, but had to get the Herbro gummy bears, which are actually German because they don't have the um, preservatives that some of the American ones do. And so we got these big muslin socks and just packed them full of gummy bears and, and dipped it down into the fermenter and a Berliner Weiss is a is another tart beer it's similar to a Goza it doesn't have the salt in it but it's a very lightly you know they're they're usually no more than four percent ABV at the top and uh they're very commonly done with different kinds of fruits and stuff like that 
Yeah, so we just loaded this sock up essentially with gummy bears and dipped it in there. And the gummy bears just swelled with liquid. And it was, it took two of us to kind of pull this damn thing out of the fermenter. It was a mess. But it was pretty good. It, yeah, was it, it? Did it turn out okay? It turned out. It turned out pretty well. And so we were slated. It it turned out well. But one thing that we did note was the flavor profile of the gummy bears. Just it just it just went away. I mean, very very quickly dis- dissipated um, over the course of even even four days later. I mean, it was it was really different. So. We were scheduled to uh, pour that at the Hogtown Craft Beer Festival, which is usually in the spring. We debuted that on a Saturday here, and people lined up for it. It was crazy. And I wanted to hold back a keg for the Craft Beer Festival, but I knew that the the flavor would would really dissipate, and Steve calls me up on a Saturday. He's like, I think people are going to be mad. (laughs) But there's if, no more of if it. we don't pour this oh, I'm yeah. like, oh, oh let let just just right. let it go right pour it so, out yeah. so we ended we ended up not having it at the um at the 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 beer festival and people were a little bit upset about that but yeah gummy bears have definitely been um the the most unusual uh ingredient I, d- don't look for that in any mass production <laughs> right, <laughs> at first yeah. magnitude but it was uh it was a lot of fun to use them and and um you know people people really enjoyed it all right well so, where are you guys headed from here? What's the next? What's the next thing? I mean, I know you've got plenty of, of beers that you're that you're testing and 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 got on tap and stuff like that. But uh, what's the next thing for First Magnitude? So, my uh, uh, one of our more recent additions to the brew team, Chris Cook, is a, is also just a great brewer. Has been a really creative, uh, innovative home brewer. Um, and he really uh, loves the wild fermentations, mixed fermentation stuff with Britannomyces and different funky flavors and barrel aging stuff. And we've done a little bit of that, but I think he's going to bring a lot of that to the table. We've done some bourbon barrel aged beers that have come out very well. And we have a bunch of them um, uh, cellaring right now. Uh, but I'm really looking to get some wine barrels in here and start to do some interesting uh, stuff with those, so I'm I'm really excited about that. We've just added um, just this week. We've brought online a new five barrel fermenter, which is obviously much smaller. It's a third of a size of of the smallest of our fermenters, and um, that is going to allow us to well. Primarily, it's going to allow us to propagate our own yeast, and that that's a whole nother interview right there. Right. Yeah. But when we're not using that to prop up yeast we're going to be able to do different treatments of our core beers and, you know, send some Mercer over there and maybe do a different hop bill on it, dry hop it in a different way, uh, maybe ferment it with a different type of yeast. And so it's really going to kind of augment. We'll, we'll be able to do a sufficient quantity of these treatment beers so we could potentially put them into distribution if we wanted to, or we could do a really small canning run. We're very proud that we were the first brewery in Gainesville to put out anything in, in uh, 16 ounce cans. Uh, so that's been really cool. So, you know, look for some, some barrel aged, wood aged stuff in the future. Look for some more large format, small can releases. So we're going to have fun. It's going to be cool. Good stuff. Yeah, cool. Well, I just want to say thank you for talking to me. I don't want to take up any more of your time. I know you're a busy guy. Oh, yeah. Um, it's been a lot of fun. Making some cool beers. Um, and uh, yeah, I guess I want to sign off by saying, if you're listening to this, go check out the Springs, grab some First Magnitude brews, and uh, and float down, float float the Springs. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. There's absolutely. nothing more nothing more Florida than that. No, Thank you so for much. Sure. For All right, Andre. Yeah, really appreciate it. Thank yeah. you. If you've listened this far, thank you once again. Mike and I really appreciate your attention. As you know by now, John, with the help of the many talented and dedicated people he works with, are always creating new and interesting things for beer enthusiasts to enjoy. So if you haven't, give them a try. Their tasting room is located at 1220 Southeast Vetch Street in South Gainesville. You can also find their beer being retailed in those beautiful cans we talked about all over Florida. So keep an eye out for Maggie the Mermaid when you're out shopping for beer. And speaking of Maggie, a big shout out to Tracy Bachman, Maggie's mommy at Waymaker, a Gainesville-based design studio. 
She not only designed First Magnitude's awesome branding, but introduced me to John, making this podcast episode possible. Thank you, Tracy. Just like the freshwater springs of North Florida, local craft brewers are some of the hidden gems of the state. Not only is John a good guy, but he, like most successful business owners, surrounds himself with smart, talented people dedicated to making the local community flourish. Remember, it's never been a better time to be a beer drinker, and First Magnitude is part of that renaissance.